No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi, everyone. This week, we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 9, Frame Toby. In this episode, Toby makes his return, Jim makes a big purchase, and the office microwave is a mess. We opened this episode, of course, with what might be one of the most iconic moments of the show, and it is when Michael finds out Toby has returned. Apparently, it's a pretty big meme. And it is, it is very, it's just very applicable to things, and uh, it's, it's fun to just throw in there. That soundbite used to be the ringtone that my friend and I had in college when our other friend would call our phones. <laughs> and so, yes, this episode opens with a party going on. It's not really stated that it's in Toby's honor, but... I don't think it's actually in Toby's honor. I think it's just a setup sort of thing. Like, Angela seems to have made brownies and brought them in, and everyone's just kind of enjoying, like, a snack break together in the conference room. And what happens in order to set this all up is that Kelly says she's going to take two brownies because Michael's already taking two brownies so we can parcel them out through the day. But she's also going to take two brownies because she's taking one to Toby in the annex. And Michael thinks it's a big joke. And it's like, oh, that's funny. How could you possibly take it to, to Toby? Are you going to send it to Costa Rica? And Jim realizes that Michael has literally no clue that Toby has apparently been back for a week. Michael yells at Toby he calls David Wallace and is just like, hey, I, what is going on here? Why is he back? And David points out that he, it is very problematic that Michael has not realized he's had an employee in his office for an entire week. Yeah. Which isn't surprising, honestly. Michael says that he didn't notice because he doesn't go back to the annex because it reminds him of Holly. Which I guess is kind of understandable, but like that's where the break room is. That's where the kitchen is. And so it's also visible from the bathrooms. Yeah, true. So, yeah, Michael had to do a lot of burying his head in the sand to be unaware of Toby's presence. And I guess Toby never came out to the main part of the office. I don't know if part of it is that Michael just got back from his business trip to Winnipeg. Suffice to say, Toby has decided to come back from Costa Rica. Kind of another layer of this. We talked a couple episodes ago during performance reviews where Kelly was talking to Michael when they found out finally that she gamed right. Jim and Dwight's numbers. Right, for their customer surveys. We said that they're in a real office setting an hr representative would be in that meeting because it's a disciplinary meeting sure there was no hr representative and we kind of surmised that 
there has to be one there because on Toby's last day, he trained Holly, so last day she would have trained the next HR representative. Apparently that didn't happen. Right. They seemingly have gone a couple of weeks, however many weeks between when Holly was transferred to Nashua until one week ago when Toby came back without an in-house HR representative. You have to assume that if anything were to come up, although it did with the customer survey issue and Kelly, that Michael could have called in someone from New York City, but Michael isn't really a by-the-book type of manager. David does not have any sympathy for Michael, least of all because the only way that Michael could get anyone to call him back anymore is to text 911 and cry wolf about there being an emergency. So David's already starting the conversation out pretty annoyed that no, actually there's not any sort of emergency. Michael is just upset that Toby is back as the HR rep. So David is telling Michael, this is what it is. You got to make nice. You just got to deal with it because this isn't changing. And Michael asks, is there any way we could fire him? And David Wallace says, not without cause. And so this kind of plants a seed in Michael's head of trying to figure out a way to get Toby to do some sort of fireable offense. And we see Michael plotting with Dwight going through what appears to be the employee handbook and going through what fireable offenses are and seeing how they can manipulate Toby into performing one of these. They start with a sexual harassment scenario, which, as we know, clearly is not an issue at Dunder Mifflin because (laughs) of how many people would have been fired for sexual harassment to this point. Yes, the Scranton office is pretty rampant with sexual harassment issues. And Dwight is Michael's assistant in coming up with this scheme to frame Toby. Dwight is going to put himself out as the bait for Toby to sexually harass, saying that you know men find him irresistible. Michael's not really down with that plan, so his big idea is to give a folded note to Pam, tell Pam she cannot look at it at all, and to take it to Toby and just react however things unfold. Pam, of course, is not going to sign on for something like that. And it turns out that the note says something ridiculous like, please hug and kiss me no matter how hard I might fight or try to get you to not do that. I have a secret crush on you. So plan A has really failed. Unsurprisingly so, yes. Plan B is to get Toby to physically assault somebody. So Toby is getting ready to show Ryan and Kelly his photos from Costa Rica. And Michael comes in and just takes them from Toby and throws them on the ground. And is just like, oh, are you mad? Why don't you punch me? Punch me. Come on. And Dwight is egging him on. Eventually, at some point, Both Kelly and Ryan try to get him to do it. And to Toby's credit, as much as I'm sure he would like to, as well as just about everybody else in the office, Toby resists and very calmly says to Michael, I'm not going to punch you. Yeah, Toby's not a hothead type of person. He's not overly emotional. He's sort of just 
blah, as we said in a lot of respect, not that that's a bad thing when someone's trying to rile you up so that you can punch the person. And really, Michael's attempts to find a fireable offense are really pretty lame, but you can't really expect much more from Michael. Like, this is just how his attempts at anything really go. Think back to season two when he was needing to fire someone and he kept telling everyone there's going to be a big surprise a big surprise and in the end it was just ice cream sandwiches he has these really grand notions and these big ideas he just doesn't know how to put it in practice so michael is pretty resigned to the fact that toby is gonna be the hr rep no matter how hard he tries until dwight approaches him with plan c And Dwight suggests that they frame Toby for possessing drugs in the office. And Dwight explains that Toby just came back from Costa Rica. Maybe he has some drugs on him. So while Dwight is making the phone call to the police saying that someone in the office has drugs... Michael has a chat with some of the guys from Vance Refrigeration and somehow assumes or he has heard that they sell drugs. So he goes to buy drugs from them. It is immediately apparent that Michael has never purchased drugs before. It's funny because he just wants to buy some marijuana, which now in a lot of states he would just go to a pot shop. Yeah to do so so it's just really funny and the guys that work for Vance Refrigeration immediately can tell what a novice that Michael is and they don't even know what he's talking about at first but because they can tell he's such an easy target they take him for a ride they say okay hang on we'll get you something and they charge him five hundred dollars for what they claim is two pounds, and again, playing on Michael's naivete, that is definitely not two pounds. Nor would anyone need to purchase two pounds of marijuana. So Michael goes back to the office, plants the drugs in Toby's desk. The quote-unquote drugs. Right. The cops show up, and Dwight leads them back to the annex. And so they search Toby's desk, and they find... The drugs, they find what Michael Plant Antoinette alluded to because after a quick, but not really quick enough uh, investigation, they find that it's not drugs, it's caprese salad. It's just basil and some, uh, as the cop points out, some mozzarella and some dressing. Yeah, so Michael paid $500 for just part of some guy's lunch. Right. Now, this scene does get played out a little bit for comedic effect. You have Michael almost immediately regretting his decisions, saying, no, this nothing's probably going on here. Nothing's, nothing's happening. And then when the cop finds the plastic bag, Michael is just like, nope, nope, that's, that's mine. That's mine. But in the meantime, like, there are two cops, and the one is searching the desk. The other one, like starts to detain Toby as once the cop finds this plastic bag. And I feel like just about anyone, much less a cop, 
would be able to tell the difference between basil and marijuana immediately just by looking at it. Yeah, it wasn't dried basil. It was fresh basil, one. (laughs) Which, side note, I know that's what caprese salad is, but I personally don't love the taste of basil that much to have an entire container of basil leaves and dressing. I thought it was spinach too. Like it's, I, I guess it's spinach and then like some basil leaves. I don't think That's it's just thing. literally a basil leaf salad. That would be a lot. That yeah. would be a lot of basil. You also have Dwight in this scenario, really pro this search and egging on the cops and and letting you know, you know, he was just in Costa Rica. Toby is strenuously objecting to the search, as anyone would. Just crazy and bizarre and as curtis says it does take a, a beat too long for the discovery of okay this is just yeah a caprese salad and then the cops go now what i think they probably would have done is is asked oh my gosh how did we get this tip why are we here that would have been an issue for dwight and Michael. Now, when Dwight called in the tip, he said his name was Andy Bernard. So Dwight is trying to frame two people here, actually. So, okay, quick funny story about drug searches. So in high school, we had just random drug dog searches of the school. Yeah, so did we. Okay, so this... I think it would have been around, it would have been like right around 420. I would say it was towards the end of the school year. I think it was my junior year. Well, the drug dog stopped at my locker, like made the pawing motion, you know, whatever at my locker. So I've never heard this before. (laughs) So I get hauled out of class. I'm pretty sure my parents got a phone call. Hauled out of class, had to open up my locker, like go through everything. I had my lunch in there. Apparently, I don't know. This is just what the cop told me. And I wasn't afraid because I was as straight-laced a kid as you could and a nerd as you could find. Still, it's shocking that you were not afraid in this situation. (laughs) Well, yeah, probably the only time in my life. And I was just like... Oh, what the heck? And I I had like a track meet that day. It was not something. I'm like, am I going to get in trouble? Like what's the, what's happening? I didn't know if it had been like someone's locker the previous year. How could that possibly be? The cop, I don't know if he was trying to make me feel better. He's like, oh, well you had strawberries in your lunch. Like sometimes the dogs like strawberries. And I'm like, that doesn't seem like a very well-trained truck dog then. I can't be the only person that has strawberries in their lunch. I have a lot of thoughts about <laughs> this this story. Yeah. Um, first of all, knowing where you went to high school. Yeah. That wasn't, there was no way that they, that that was a, any issue well and and to just respond to that like total privilege sort of thing because again like i said i wasn't afraid i wasn't afraid i was going to be framed or whatever so big privilege right there but second the principal and the guidance counselor like immediately vouched for me again like i said huge nerd I think if I it had turned out the opposite way, they would have been um, shocked out of their minds. Well, I'm not saying that, like, for you specifically. Right. I'm saying... In general. In general, where you went to high school, I guarantee there was no... 
there was never a chance that they were ever going to find anything. Oh, that is not remotely true. No? No. I don't know. I like, so I would have been the Michael of this situation if I'd ever wanted to like find drugs. I don't even know how you'd go about doing it. Um, But I know there were, there were some kids that smoked pot when I was in high school. I don't know where, how, or, you know, any of those sort of things. Now, were they dumb enough to keep it in their lockers? I can't even imagine. Right. And so, to me, this, like, this is probably the cynic <laughs> of uh, in me. Like, that excuse is I know. Yes. That's what I was and like. Uh... they probably were just like, they have a quote dog yeah. there's an actual dog but there's a dog that quote it's someone's pawed, pet. yeah that pawed at your locker and so it's just like because in these situations i'm sure it was the same situation at your high school that it wasn't mine like there is a there is a message that is related to exactly. the teachers no one is allowed in the hallways at this time and so like they probably just go through lockers they're just like all right that one yeah and yeah it was just a bizarre thing and of course you know by the end of the day everyone knows like the names of the people whose lockers got searched and and whatever but and I think they had to tell my track coach like they had to inform people like I said I'm pretty sure they called my parents it was a weird day because they're because I think the principal called and was like well we just have to let you know we don't think there's anything so I, I didn't you know get in trouble or anything like that but it was just it just felt stupid yeah and kind of how toby said i'm like don't you guys have something like better to do with your time as police officers and so then i just i do i think of that from the lens of again just being a white woman and not being afraid of that situation i'm like at a different school with different kids that might have gone down a very different way absolutely and again now it's just and, and marijuana is not legal pot is not legal for teenagers and it shouldn't be you know with all the brain development and things like that but just it's just so funny like weed is legal now yeah <laughs> in so many states and so many places and it's not necessarily the gateway drug that dare made it out to be and what's interesting is around the same time that this episode was airing, the actual big problem of drugs in America was prescription painkillers. It still is. It still is. Exactly. Yeah. The opioid crisis like, still is a much bigger addiction and life-ruining problem. And I'm not saying that there haven't been people that... There's some people that just aren't functional stoners. Like, you have to... Just like you can't be drunk all the time, you probably shouldn't be high all the time sort of thing. And I honestly feel like this story is a little bit more interesting than the episode itself. Yeah, we really only get three other things that happen in this episode. And only one of them I could even describe as somewhat interesting. Yeah, and somewhat of a plot... And I think that's where, like, this season, I feel like, starts off very strong. And then it sort of falls off, I would say. We're getting to, we're, this is episode nine. We're getting to towards the mid-season a bit. But, yeah, it, 
it falls off here um, in some ways until we get to the Christmas episode. And then there's some shakeup towards the end. And that brings a lot of intrigue. But it's kind of an uneven season in some respects. So our other main plot point in this episode, and it was something that was alluded to last episode, and it is Jim purchasing his parents' old house for he and Pam. As he has said before, he has not told Pam this at all. He is making this huge financial decision for both of them on his own without consulting her. And and so today is the day he is going to take Pam to his parents' house to show her the house that he bought for them. And it's interesting that this storyline gets a little bit more fluff over the lunch hour because Andy mentions something to Jim about the house. And Jim's like, wait, I didn't tell you about that. Like, how do you know? And apparently Andy's just reading over Jim's shoulder, which is a huge hazard of the open floor plan in some respects, and saw some of the email exchange. So then everyone's having sort of a discussion about, oh, you're buying this house without Pam's knowledge. Andy says naively that he and his lady don't have any secrets, so Jim's sort of in for a bruising with Pam. Phyllis says she finds it romantic until she learns where the house is at, because Phyllis has a little bit more of expensive taste, and her and Bob are probably in a different strata than Jim and Pam. And so Jim shows us, the viewer, and then later Pam, this house. And it is, it's not a terrible house, but it is certainly outdated. It reminds me of my grandma's house. Sure, sure. And... So when he is showing Pam around, and this is kind of confusing to me because they show up and they pull outside the house and Pam's like, why are we at your parents' house? Seemingly that she knows it's Jim's parents' house. Yeah, like maybe she's been there before. Right. But then when Jim is giving her the tour, he's talking about this as if she's never been inside before. Yeah, like they've only just been outside the house. And so as he is showing her around, he is pointing out kind of all the flaws of the house. And they go out to the garage, and this is kind of the only selling point at this point, I guess. And he says that there's a lot of natural light in there, and it'd be great for an art studio. And he already kind of has some things set up for it. Yeah. And Pam has seemed very apprehensive all the way up until this point. Yeah, she has not said a word. And eventually she says that she loves it. And so they have their happy moment, and this is going to be the house that they start their life in and start their family in, I guess. It's not a bad house. It's a little bit of a fixer-upper. I mean, yeah, some of the decor is outdated. But if you've ever been looking at houses, you have to sort of let go of the aesthetic stuff and make sure that the guts of the house are are feasible. Is the furnace going to go out anytime? Okay, that's a bigger problem than the shag carpeting or the wood paneling. You can fix that with a couple hundred dollars and either on your own or hiring someone to to do that. To me, that's not a big deal. I mean, 
Pam does ask if they have to sleep in Jim's parents' bedroom, which is a legit sort of question. I think that would be, I don't know. <laughs> I probably wouldn't. Eh, I feel like that's something you get over real fast. Like it's, oh, this is our bedroom now. Yeah, like if you change it around, you're obviously going to bring in your own furniture. But I think it's a cute little house. It looks like a little cottage. And this is a gesture that works well for Jim and Pam's relationship. Pam is a not a incredibly decisive or overly opinionated figure. And I think, and she she's pleased with it. For her, it's about the gesture, which is a huge gesture. Jim bought it privately, like directly from his parents, it seems like. So they didn't go through a realtor or anything like that. And he probably got a pretty good deal on it. Now, the financial aspect of it is pretty tough. I mean, you're asking someone else to pay for something that they had no say in and something pretty substantial. So that pretty much wraps up anything of importance in this episode. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. One fun fact is the Vance Refrigeration guys that sell Michael the Caprese salad are actually writers of the show. It's Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stubnitsky. They make another reappearance at, I want to say it's at the end of this season as the Vance Refrigeration guys. Also, we learn towards the end of the episode that Ryan is breaking up with Kelly and going on a trip to Thailand with some friends from a high school. We think that's probably around the time that BJ Novak took a you know, leave of absence from the show in order to film Inglorious Bastards. So this would have been, I believe, the filming of The Office would have been around 2007, like we said previously regarding Jenna Fisher's movie shoots. Inglorious Bastards wasn't released until 2009, but I have to imagine it was a longer film shoot or maybe like overseas film shoot. And it was also Oscar bait. So it was had to come out at a certain time in order mm-hmm. to get, you know, major award um, notice. Does he not show up again until Michael Scott Paper Company? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Curtis, who got fired this episode? So we lose Kelly and Ryan for the same reason we have lost them in the last two episodes. Uh, They have just been making out all over the office. And just blatantly now in front of Toby. Right. It is Kelly's third firing of the season. It's her fifth overall. It's Ryan's second of the season. It's his fourth overall. We also lose Dwight and Michael for plotting to frame Toby and making a false police report and probably would be getting in a little more trouble than just getting fired from Dunder Mifflin. Yes. Uh, It is Michael's third firing this season. It's his 40th overall. Kind of impressive that Michael has only been fired three times this season, and we're in episode nine. Usually hits that mark around mm, episode four or five. (laughs) And it's Dwight's fourth firing this season. It's his 15th overall. 
we did not see Daryl at all this episode. Correct. And I'd like to point out that Kelly is three for three over the past three episodes. Yes, very true. Do you have a Dundee to give out? Yes. So my Dundee is the Actions Speak Louder Than Words award. It goes to Ryan for a storyline we didn't quite touch on yet because it sort of fizzled out. As often happens with shared workspaces and shared microwaves, it can get pretty gross. People are heating up their various lunches and no one really cleans up the microwave. Pam, being back in the office now, finds that pretty disgusting. And she writes a very passive-aggressive note about trying to encourage people to clean up the microwave because it's so gross. No one really agrees with her. They find the note that she left quite obnoxious and the bigger sin than just having a dirty microwave. Ryan, however, comes to Pam later in the day and does say that he agrees with her. And eventually they get to the point that even if there's agreement or not agreement, someone eventually will have to probably clean out this mi- this microwave. Ryan, realizing he's talking himself into a bit of a corner on this, is like, well, I, I, I couldn't do that. I, I mean, I'm just hopeless at that stuff. I, I somehow make it worse. And Pam's like, uh, wait, how could wiping it down with a paper towel like make it worse? And Ryan, as he's walking away, is like, oh, I'd find a way. So he's just saying he agrees to bolster Pam to like finally clean it out. And if you've ever worked in an office or with people or actually like lived with roommates, you've probably had a passive aggressive note taped up somewhere. That happens in my office when we're in person all the time. And a couple of months before the pandemic forced us to work from home, there was a passive aggressive thing happening with the dish soap. The person that probably supplies the dish soap that everyone uses was just asking people, just left a note asking people to use less. That prompted people to buy bottles of dish soap, leaving notes saying, use as much as you want. And then someone, you know, up the ante and bought one of those like Costco sized, industrial sized things of dish soap. And it just got ridiculous and we don't have a very big sink area and they were just piling it up right by the sink area. So eventually someone had to like find a place for all these stupid bottles of soap. And then a couple months later, maybe a month later, we're all working from home using our own damn dish soap. That's insane. Yeah, that's, that can describe my office sometimes. Anyways. I, I understand where that person is coming from because... If you are at the office and doing your dishes, chances are you're cleaning out a coffee mug. Yeah, or, or a bowl. A bowl, like a little drop of dish soap is going to get the job done. You don't need to just go right. to town with it. Right. Curtis, what is your Dundee? The Close Call Award goes to Creed uh, <laughs> when the cops show up to search Toby's desk. Creed gets a little panicky and he does end up going into the conference room to talk to the camera crew and just says, let's just stay in here and pretend like I'm talking to you until the cops leave. So Creed, as usual, up to some shady stuff. 
Who is your employee of the month? I chose Kevin. There weren't very many uh, nominees for employee of the month, I feel like, in this episode. And the reason I chose Kevin is because he got to enjoy some delicious brownies, although he did get shamed by Angela. But that's kind of par for the course in their relationship. Yeah. Who was your employee of the month? My employee of the month is Jim's mom for (laughs) probably getting way more from that house than she would have on the open market. (laughs) That's probably true. Um, If we are to judge by how Phyllis reacts to knowing where the house is, it's probably not in the most like developed popular neighborhood. Not necessarily like a dangerous one, but one that's just like, Maybe used to be nicer, but as people move, it's just kind of... Older homes. Older homes. Generally, your first-time homeowners type homes, like where we used to live. I was just going to say that. I was like, our old neighborhood. At no point did I ever feel unsafe in our neighborhood, but the houses in that neighborhood weren't super nice, but they were fine. They're fine. You were gone when this happened. I only felt unsafe once when the cops came to find our neighbor he was a he i think unfortunately had some issues with domestic violence and that's why the cops were called it was like 2 a.m curtis was at a bachelor party so anyway um not not a super nice house in a popular neighborhood it is very outdated has shag carpeting has wood paneling and i somewhat disagree with the point that you made earlier like there's a difference between like if you're going to look at a house and there is a room that is painted lime green and you're just (laughs) like that is not the color for me you can't let stuff like that dissuade you from buying a house because you can paint the wall a different color sure Pulling up carpet, replacing it, pulling off wood paneling, uh, pulling and replacing that, taking off wallpaper if you don't like the wallpaper. That is going to take some time, money, and effort. Stuff like that, if you just don't want to go through with it, is absolutely a reason to not buy a house. So, and it reminds me of when we were looking for houses you have so many houses in this area that are just 20 years outdated. Yeah. No updates have ever been done haven't since haven't seen the an 80s. update since, yeah, the 90s. And they're, just because it's in a decent neighborhood, they have the gall to ask for a ridiculous sum of money for it. Yeah. In this situation, Jim's mom is probably going to have to sell that house, as is, is not going to get a great price for it. And will probably come out as a loss. So even with the family discount I'm sure she gave Jim, probably made a little bit more money off of it than she would have. Also, something I just thought of, that house is not very large, and yet three kids got raised in there. I was thinking that. And so I'm thinking there's maybe one other bedroom, two tops. Like one, the oldest got his own room. The other two had to share a room. I hope there's at least three bedrooms. And so 
them shutting off one bedroom because the parents used to sleep there is kind of limiting their options as yeah. to where else they can stay. And Jim and his brothers were kind of tall guys, so yeah, you need space. I bet there's only one bathroom. Probably, oh, yeah. Oh, God. That does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And keep listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Happy holidays.